what is the free will argument for the existence of God? I have no idea. I hadn't heard it before until not too long ago whenever I watched a debate with my next interviewee, whose name is Dr. Braxton Hunter. And Dr. Braxton Hunter is the former president of the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists, and he's the current president of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Indiana. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Expository Preaching, an MA in Theology, and a PhD in Christian Apologetics. Dr. Hunter is also the author of a a few books, uh, one of which is called uh, Core Facts, the Strategy for Understandable and Teachable Christian Defense. And that's a good apologetics resource. If you uh, don't have it, be sure to follow the link in the description and get a copy of that. I'm excited to have Dr. Braxton Hunter on uh, the show today because I'm, I'm excited to ask him about this argument for the existence of God, of which I had not heard before. Of course, I've heard free will mentioned in debates and things before, but I never heard it uh, put as a, a formal argument for the existence of God, and so I'm excited to dive into that as well as other topics. Hey, if you enjoy the episode, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review. It helps out a lot, and of course, if you want to keep the show going, follow the Patreon link in the description below, and you will get access to the bonus segments as a thank you from me to you for supporting this ministry. Uh, As always, guys, thanks so much uh, for watching, and uh, enjoy the episode. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe, the show about Christian apologetics and theology. My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I am excited to introduce my special guest to you. Uh, His name is Dr. Braxton Hunter. Dr. Hunter, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited as well. Uh, I'm excited to have on the Jason Statham of Apologetics. It's good to have you here. Uh, I didn't mention that I was going to say that beforehand because I wanted to see that surprise on your face. I think I saw that on Facebook or something. I don't know. Something you shared. I couldn't resist. Uh, But... uh, uh, for uh, for for the audience out there who may not be familiar with who you are, uh, how, uh, thought it might be useful if you give us a brief introduction of who you are and what you do. Well, the coolest uh, descriptor I could ever have is the one you just gave me, which comes from <laughs> there was a there was a blog article. Uh, I don't even know the guy who wrote it somewhere in the UK, and uh, he he wrote he's a bit like uh, a cooler William Lane Craig. <laughs> who looks a bit like Jason Statham. Yeah, shots fired on to, Bill Craig, man, dang. <laughs> neither one of those things are true, but now I want to put that on all my books yeah. and my website and everywhere. Uh, yeah, so I, um, I got into apologetics uh, in my early 20s. I was pastoring at the time, um, and uh, over the years I began to develop an evangelistic ministry, um, trying to reach people for Christ and proclaim the gospel. And I found that sometimes, not always, but sometimes it was helpful if I used some apologetics. And so I was starting to uh, to learn about apologetics and got into that, and then got a degree in apologetics. And now I teach apologetics, and um, and so that's that's kind of who I am. I teach at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, which is a non-denominational but theologically conservative seminary in southwest Indiana in the city of Evansville, and it's 100% online. Uh, anyone who's interested. Um, it's inexpensive, flexible, and uh, we, you can do it um, from home, just like you're watching us do this right now. Yeah, nice plug for the seminary, but I totally consent. It looks like a great college uh, up there, and there's a lot of professors on staff that I know and respect, so I highly recommend it to the audience as well. There's something about getting into apologetics in your early 20s. I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah. uh, I'm... Uh, Crud, I'm over the hill moving into my late 20s now. But when I was in my early 20s is whenever I had a, a serious crisis of faith. I was actually in seminary studying for my master's in theological studies when I realized I have no idea why I believe any of this. I could tell you what I yeah. believe, but I have, I don't know why other than that experience I had at uh, about 19, 20 years old. Um, just kind of had a very dramatic experience where I turned, uh, interpreted as from the Lord, and so turned and uh, repented and started following Jesus. Um, so, but was it something like that for you? Was there doubt, or what was it that got you interested? 
Um, I think every Christian experiences a fair amount of doubt, but I also think every atheist experiences a fair amount of doubt. Yeah. I think that's just a thing about human beings is that mm-hmm. um, we, we, you know, we experience, uh, we question ourselves, and uh, some do it more than others, but I think that's just the nature of being human, especially when things of this magnitude are on the line, you know? Um, and so, yeah, but when in my, uh, I, so I grew up as the son of a megachurch pastor and um, a well-respected one, and as a result, I had a firm foundation in the faith. I, uh, you know, I learned a lot from my family growing up, and uh, I was in church all my life and, and really had an interest in theological issues and things like that. But what happened to me was a little nuanced from what happened to you. Um, with me, it wasn't so much doubt uh, any more than, than, like I say, is common among anyone, especially you know, it's common among people in their late teens, early 20s. But with me, what happened was... Um, uh, my best friend, one of my best friends, began to experience same-sex attraction, and uh, he he uh, came from the same background as me, a Christian school, Christian, uh, you know, conservative Southern Baptist church, uh, Lebanon, Tennessee. Everything that Lifeway Christian bookstores or Cracker Barrel sells goes through a warehouse in uh, Lebanon, Tennessee. That's how conservative <laughs> sure. it is. And so, Gosh. but he began he began to experience same-sex attraction, and this led to a degradation in his faith. However you want to chalk that up sure. in terms of Christian doctrine, what happened was he decided I can either live by biblical principles or I can you know, ex- go after this kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. He gave up the biblical Christianity. Now he's an atheist. And then he began to uh, challenge my faith. And um, I, I didn't—it it rattled me, but not in the sense that I, I began to experience doubt myself. Mm-hmm. It rattled me in the sense that I wanted to be able to give an answer that I didn't know how mm-hmm. to give. I want to be able to say something I didn't know how to say. Yeah, that's probably the right way to handle that. It's not how I handled it, but that's probably the right way to handle it. Uh, yeah. So I, I think I came across uh, just who you are in your ministry and everything that you're doing there at, uh, at Trinity uh, through uh, Dr. Flowers' podcast, and so mm. he'll love that. But anyway, yeah. I think that's how I came became familiar with you, and, and I listened to a couple of episodes and became hooked on the podcast and then uh, uh, found your debate, which was... Back in February, uh, yeah, with, with Matt Dillahunty, and so yeah, I watched University, that, yeah. yeah, and that, um, I don't know if I should be ashamed to admit or not. Well, the first time I, who am, I would consider myself or would flatter myself, familiar with apologetics, had never heard the formal argument uh, for God's existence from free will, and so that was pretty cool for me to see that. And, and uh, if I must well, say, don't, don't don't feel bad because the fact is that that version of that argument. Um, I came up with. Now I need to caveat that. Okay. But 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 that was kind of my thing. And um and you don't typically hear arguments from from free will. What what's really funny is I get all these atheists on YouTube commenting on that debate and they'll say um and if you're an atheist I don't mean any offense by this but they'll say things like No, I'm a Christian. <laughs> no, not you. I'm I mean just the, kidding. <laughs> I mean the listener. <laughs> But uh, but uh, but they say things like, "Oh, it's just the same old arguments we've heard a thousand sure. times before," and I hate this free will argument I've never heard of. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So, uh, but but no, don't feel bad that you've never heard that argument because mm-hmm. that version of the argument is my, is one I came up with. Oh, well, that makes sense. That's pretty interesting too. Um, but I, I mean, I have heard you know the discussion around free will. Uh, sure. Come up in apologetics, uh, especially with uh, you know Dr. Craig's arguments. Specifically, whenever he gets into the moral argument, things like that, he might bring up well on atheism, determinism, uh, you know, does away with any kind of moral culpability, and so the, yeah, you, know, you don't have objective morality on atheism because of that. Um, and so I've heard of it before, basically is what I'm trying to say, but I never heard that formal structured argument like that. Well, and and I should go ahead for listeners that may not be familiar. Uh, the argument goes like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, if God does not exist, then libertarian freedom, which is the type of freedom most people assume they have without knowing anything about the philosophy. Um, but um, if God does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist. Premise two, libertarian freedom does exist. Therefore, God exists. Mm-hmm. So the so now, if that sounds at all familiar to anyone who's a listener, um, it, it's kind of cool the way this came about. I I was um, I had done a lot of Calvinism debates within Christianity, and um, with bro- you know these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't I don't it's just a friendly in-house debate. Um, but but when I but I got convicted, and I don't say this for anyone else, but for me, I felt convicted that I needed to be I needed to stop that and get back to the evangelism and apologetics towards skeptics. Sure. And so, but I prayed that God would give me some way to use 
the knowledge and things that I learned through that that those debates, the sociological debates for uh, these in this setting of apologetics with atheists and, and others. And so uh, it was actually in a moment of prayer in my floor, in my office. Well, who would have guessed? Yeah, I know. But uh, it instantly came to me that William Lane Craig's moral argument could easily be modified to be a free will argument. So his argument is, if God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. If you just take out the morality yes. and input the libertarian freedom, it works. Yeah, and I think, well, okay. I was going to say I think it works better because I think that uh, Craig's argu moral argument, at least, and uh, I wonder if there's a reason that I haven't seen you use it in your debates or not, but Craig's moral argument it seems to only work once you get to something like, uh, well, because on atheism, determinism, or on atheism, evolution is what really causes the problems with mm -hmm. morality. It's not really necessarily, I don't think, I'm sure people disagree with this, and he's much smarter than me, but uh, it's not really necessarily the lack of God. It's really the determinism and the evolution that causes all the problems. So to take that out and make a free will argument out of it, I actually think... Um, at least it, it, it suits my fancy better anyway. I guess. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And one of the unique things about it, and I said this in the debate, but I don't know if anybody picked up on it, is with morality, w with the moral argument, Craig's moral argument, and ones like it, what you're trying to do is you're trying to point out, you know, as you know, but for the listener, it's not that uh, an atheist or an unbeliever can't do good things from a human perspective. Sure. But it's the fact that they recognize that certain things are good and certain things are bad that um, there needs to be a grounding for that, an objective grounding for that. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's God. But what I, so the debate is always about is, is morality objective or subjective? What I did with the, with the free will argument is I said, uh, I'm not, I don't care. Like, yeah. let's just, whether or not you think morality is objective, mm -hmm. it's a moot point because if determinism is true, right. you're not free to do the objectively right thing. That's what thing. I mean, yeah. So th to yeah. me, that's the more fundamental problem. Uh, yeah. Personally, I think there's probably is a way that you can have objective, I mean, ontological uh, morality on atheism because I'm closer to Thomism than something like Craig is, and so I would probably ground it in human nature. That's a totally different debate, and I'm probably wrong. I usually am. That's perfectly fine. But uh, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm definitely more confident about the free will argument, if I must say. Um, yeah, you can bypass that whole discussion. Yeah, like that's just that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly what you said. It's it's almost unnecessary. Because at bottom, you know, you got this free will problem or determinism problem, really. Uh, let, let's actually start with the uh, first premise again. Go ahead and state it one more time. So if God does not exist, then libertarian freedom does not exist. Right. Okay. So why is it that um, – let, let me think of how to word this question. Why does uh, determinism necessarily follow on atheism? Why can't you have a free will on an atheistic worldview? Well, there's a little bit of induction here. I mean, it, it, it's possible that we could discover some way out okay. there. Um, I mean, you know, uh, there are guys like Nagel, Thomas Nagel, who are looking for a way or have looked for ways to use uh, quantum mechanics. This is a little bit technical, but like um, what he says is, OK, if you have these um, indeterminate events at the quantum level, then. Uh, but that's not at the macro level. So we don't experience these indeterminate events at the macro level. So it doesn't do you any good. But um, in, in situations of real upset, um, things that are going on at the micro level can um, uh, manifest uh, events at the macro level. So the example he gives is, or this is his hypothesis, I guess, um, is that, well, what if you had a moment of real crisis, like who am I going to, am I going to marry this girl or not? Right. That or, is a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or, or, uh, or where am I going to go to school? Am I going to go to this school or that school? Okay. Real, like not like what am I going to eat for lunch, right. but real heavy things that you turmoil to chaos brain enough that these indeterminate things at the quantum level can manifest in indeterminate moments in your thinking to where the true self can, can then, uh, unfettered make a free choice now uh the thing is most people don't buy that and i'm among them i mean I, i'm still of the opinion that if god does not exist libertarian freedom does not exist so to directly answer the point about that is if the, if someone did discover that at some point or find some way uh it wouldn't hurt my belief in god because it doesn't work backwards but at the same right. time um i think premise one is pretty secure at this point 
So uh, one thing is, if God does not exist, then the universe is just a natural system of cause and effect. Um, everything that happens, there is an event that caused it. And so as a result, you just have a determinant, you have a raw determinism in the universe. Does, it, um, does and, anybody try to say that holds true even if God does exist? Oh, sure. There, Yeah, absolutely. The I mean, Calvinists? That, yeah, you've got determinist <laughs> Christians who are called Calvinists, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are people like that. And there are atheists who will argue that even granting, like even even if God exists, whether you're a Calvinist or not, you're still stuck with determinism. And uh, if people are interested in that discussion, um, on my own YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter, uh, you have, uh, there's a response video I did to Matt Dillahunty, Rationality Rules and Cosmic Skeptic, where I go into reasons why that, that doesn't work. But here's the thing. So you've got that. So you've got this natural system of cause and effect. And it's a pretty uncontroversial uh, point because there was a recent paper um, that compiled survey data from philosophers and graduate level students at a number of schools. I think it was something like 4,000 and something philosophers and, and graduate students. And they asked them about a number of issues, but they asked them about this issue. And 70 something uh, percent, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, the vast majority either believed in compatibilism, which is determinism, or just flat out said they believed in determinism. Mm -hmm. um, and so the vast majority affirmed some kind of determinism. Right. Now, the interesting thing about that is that the, uh, th this group that was polled was 72 or 73 percent atheist. So that, se that serves to support my first premise. It right. seems like that if someone's an atheist, especially if they're an atheist thinker, they're going to end up being a determinist. Right. And the general population, who are primary, overwhelmingly not atheists, believe they have libertarian freedom. Yeah, which I would agree with. I was just curious. Um, okay, so what you're saying is is actually is obviously true that if you're an atheist, I mean, ninety nine percent chance you're also a determinist. Yeah. Um, well, not but, that any particular person has thought that through and realized that, but you should you should be. If yeah, you're if you started questioning an atheist, they would eventually realize, oh, I am a determinist. Okay, so what of it? Yeah. That's probably how yeah, that conversation would go if they didn't know it. Uh, you mm -hmm. could easily make them see that they are. But I was just trying to look for something that made it necessarily the case. Like, what is it about that? Why is that the case? Why does determinism just naturally follow on atheism? I well, just, it's, and it's I didn't, because, couldn't find an answer. So, but. It's because you have a universe that's a closed system, or at the very least a natural system, of causal interactions. And mm -hmm. so you, you would have, in any particular situation you you would you'd be able to point to a cause and we have zero examples of things uh, outside of human minds anyway that don't have those causes right so that's where i say there's a little bit of induction there i was going to say is, is, yeah sorry go ahead so so zero percent or i should say 100 percent of our experience backs up the claim that mm -hmm. if something begins to happen or begins to exist there's a cause for it yeah and so as a result if someone wanted to challenge premise one one way they could do it is to try and show me a, a situation where that's not the case yeah, maybe I was just thinking maybe there there's something to do with it's also because atheists are. Um, I know Thomas Nagel doesn't want to be one, but they seem to be necessarily uh, materialists or naturalists, and so by that sure. by that your mind, which has got to be um, the the way in which we have free will if we have it, it, it actually reduces to your brain. And so it's, it's it's probably that reductionism yeah. that necessitates it, maybe? Yeah, I see what you're asking. The, say, the way I say it is your brain states uh, are reducible uh, to brain activity, which is reducible to your biology. Um, so, mm -hmm. And then that's reducible to things outside yeah, yeah. of yourself. Okay, so I think I I'm just want to conceptualize everything right, which I think is materialism or physicalism or naturalism, one of those, if those are three different things or if they're not all the same, naturally follows upon atheism and determinism naturally falls upon that so that i to that, my mind it does yeah so that's I, how I that's how it. i'm thinking of it anyway i'm again i'm usually wrong so I, you, <laughs> I love your unabashed humility but um but you know the the this is why you hear atheists saying things like um i think it's daniel dennett who says this that we are moist robots you know <laughs> yeah we, I mean, that's such a lot everybody loves it's the word just, moist <laughs> right. God, yeah. All the white girls gross, out there, but but yeah, we are just a, we're just machinery. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, it's all it's all that's going on there. So there's no. I don't see a way out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're not disputing it. 
you know, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate trying to get it down to the nitty gritty here. But yeah, they, and they're not. They're they're accepted. They're like, yeah, of course I'm a determinist. Uh, okay, so that seems to be in, in safe condition. What about uh, what was premise two one more time? Well, before we go on to premise two, yeah, sure, actually, yeah, by all means, I actually have two other supporting uh, lines of thinking for premise one. Yeah, uh, I was trying to be really prepared for this because when you come up with a phraseology for an argument that nobody's ever used before, you you oh, really yeah. you really get self conscious. I'm sure. <laughs> so, so so the second one was. Um, and I've never heard anybody else say this before, but there's nothing new under the sun, so somebody probably has. But uh, 100% of the benefits that are given to us by libertarian freedom, because remember, in premise one, we're, we're not we're not we're not arguing for libertarian freedom. Right. We're saying if God does not exist, claim. libertarian yeah. freedom does not exist. So granting that, like if it exists, it grants us four things, uh, and 100% of them are necessary for relationships to be possible, yeah. and those are. Um, morality, uh, moral responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have moral responsibility, as you say, without libertarian freedom. Uh, love, real love, I would argue. Um, uh, rational affirmations, and we can get to that in premise two. Sure. Um, and then uh, pure altruism, uh, re- absolutely purely selfless acts. And these four things, I can't think of anything else that is given to us by libertarian now, freedom. Now, the first two are very important. This is so funny how this works out as a, like a mirroring of the arguments, but yeah, the first two are very important for the Calvinists, and the last two are very important for the atheists, if I've understood right. that. Because, okay, so if libertarian freedom does exist, uh, well, okay, actually it's probably better to say those four things are only possible if libertarian uh, freedom exists. I, well, that's what I would argue. Right. Yeah. Okay, let's start with the first two. Why is it the case that um, would you say love and relationships yeah, are love, only possible love, if love libertarian moral, freedom? Love and moral affirmation. So the four okay. are love, moral. Uh, I'm sorry, moral, moral responsibility, yeah. rational affirmations, and pure altruism. Oh, okay, so why is it the case that, uh, or why can you not have? I'm going to make this very specific. Why can you not have uh, uh, moral responsibility? or love or relationships on uh, theological determinism like Calvinism. Okay, so with Calvinism, um, well, because, and I think this is true in both cases, but I, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, talking about God and baptizing determinism makes it any better. Right. The fact about it is, um, with, with love, um, part of the nature of love is to give of yourself for the good of another, to, 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 to genuinely give of yourself. So um, I think it's intrinsic to the nature of the garden. You know, um, Calvinists don't don't balk at this, but skeptics often say, "Well, look, um, this whole Garden of Eden deal—it just looks like a setup." You know, God set it up so that they would fail, and of course, He knew that they would that they would fail. But here's the thing about it: there were two trees in the midst of the garden. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. Mm-hmm. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil gets all the attention, but in chapter two and chapter three, we have the tree of life, and they were both there in the midst of the garden every day. Adam and Eve had to make a choice. However you understand the story, every day they had to make a choice. Am I going to give of myself in obedience to God where I could eat this fruit, or am I going to obey him and demonstrate my love and eat of the tree of of life? And um, I think that is that that, that the I think that now this is a bit of a speculation, but I don't think much of one that part of the reason for the trees in the garden is an opportunity to sacrifice something Mm -hmm. For your love relationship with God, it seems, and and when you think about it in terms of our love relationships, we we kind of get this intuitively, is that if I force someone to do something for me, it's just not as meaningful. Even if I were able to overwhelm their thinking so that they feel as though they're making free choices, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we would would recognize that as, um, as as not really being meaningful. It's not real love. Yeah. Now I've had enough um, uh, encounters with the the Calvinists to just have them in my head uh, responding to you, which would be that the example you gave is pre-fall. Uh, so isn't that kind of what they don't you agree? That's probably what they might say. That well, yeah, but that we lost our free will or whatever after the fall, after Adam sinned in the first first place, right? Isn't that what they would say? They they could say something like that, but here's the problem. First I mean, of all, 
they'd have to show me anywhere in the Bible where it ever indicates yeah. that Adam and Eve lost their free will after the fall. Yeah. Uh, secondly, you've got, uh, basically you've got the R.C. Sproul senior and junior distinction. RC, if I understand correctly, R.C. Sproul senior believed what you just said, that pre-fall, Adam and Eve had libertarian freedom. But, uh, but then post-fall, that, that was marred in some way. Um, but Sproul Jr. would say, no, no, no. It's, we're going to be consistent here through and through. Yeah. Determinism was at work the whole way. Oh, really? That's what it would say. There was never a choice in the garden. Yeah, and there are high-minded Calvinists, or high Calvinists, I should say, today who will still say, no, libertarian freedom doesn't exist even for God because it's, it's not a thing. It's, yeah. it's just not really a thing. So um, that's an odd flex for sure. But to me, there's a defeater in Genesis four right after it with that. I mean, it's either the case that Cain had libertarian freedom, or God was mischievous in saying that he could overcome that sin. I mean, that's to exactly me, it's just a defeater. It's it. It's it. It's over. You can be absolutely certain that you got that you got it if you think that the Bible is God's word. And I'm not saying they don't, obviously, but I, that's why it baffles me that they hold on to that. But anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll go. We'll, we'll, we picked on the Calvinists. Let's pick on the atheists. Well, just just to say, <laughs> I actually made exactly the point you're making to Sean Cole um, in a debate Leighton Flowers and I had with him uh, that people can find as in a playlist on debates on my YouTube channel too. So, um, so, yeah. so yeah, I agree I'd love to hear that. the response because uh, I've made the point in a blog post, and uh, you know, people don't really care what I have to say. So, what was his response to you? I don't think there really was a response except mm-hmm. to just move off of it. Yeah. We went there because I, I was asking them to demonstrate to me a difference between compatibilism and the hardest of hard determinisms. And, um, cause I see no distinction. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, uh, and so they, they, for about 20 minutes, we went back and forth on that. And then Sean Cole said, um, well, let, can we get away from this philosophy and get back to scripture? And I said, absolutely. Let's go to Genesis four. <laughs> <laughs> I said here before Cain kills Abel, but after he offers a bad sacrifice, God heavily implies that he can change and fix this situation. Yeah. But if if but that, but if determinism or compatibilism is true, then he couldn't. Right. And God do that, which means God is either is at least being deceptive and at worst lying. Yeah, he's either um, being deceptive toward Cain or he's being deceptive like towards us or both like it's a weird. It's a, it's a. It's another odd flex. Uh, that was that was really interesting. So okay, the rational justification one. I definitely want to pause on because I was just listening to uh, Eric Hernandez. Um, you familiar with Eric? Yeah, he's a close friend. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So he's here. Yeah. He's down here in, in Texas as well. Um, and I was just listening to. He had a debate with. Uh, I don't even uh, know who the guy was. On T. Jump. Exactly. So you already know where I'm going with this. Yeah. yeah. And okay. Um, first of all, we'll, we'll get there. But first, let's start with uh, why is it the case that uh, on, you cannot uh, rationally justify truth or your beliefs on uh, determinism? Yeah. So if determinism is true, I, I think a good way to to set it off is um, my friend Tim Stratton has an has an illustration like this. He says, look. Um, let's if you, let's imagine you found out that right now there's a mad scientist who is controlling your every thought, your every belief, including what you're thinking right now as you're sipping your coffee, the next words that are going to come out of your mouth, uh, and all of it. Would you then, and you don't know the intentions of this mad scientist, would you then have any justification for believing anything that you think? I, I don't see how you could, yeah. because even you're thinking about it, is being controlled by this mad scientist. Which is what he didn't seem to grasp. And I, I of course, again, folks, I am so often wrong, it's not even funny. But uh, what was the gentleman's name in Eric's uh, debate? You're, you, Tom T-J- Jump. Okay. Yeah, T. Jump. T. Jump. Jump. Okay. Uh, and Eric was saying, uh, shoot, now I'm getting lost in the regress of what they were saying. It was pretty mind-blowing. He Okay, so Eric was making the case that you just said. You can't justify uh, your beliefs. And this guy, oh, okay, uh, the T-Jump guy was saying, um, that. but my, my, my beliefs are determined by the evidence and reason for them. It, it just necessarily falls that I believe them. Well, I mean, he wasn't saying that. That would actually be the defeater if he wanted to say that. That's how I would how I would have gone with it if he would have said that. But he wasn't saying that. He was saying, my beliefs um, 
are, uh, what did I just say, determined by the evidence and the reason. And Eric was saying, but how do you know that's true? That would have to be just as equally determined. And he right. was not getting that. He was either not getting it or avoiding it. Or In other uh, words, you're not justified in even that affirmation. In that belief. You're not justified so, in so, the belief that your beliefs are determined by the evidence and the reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to lay it out for people. So if you understand that concept with the uh, mad scientist, if you found out a mad scientist was controlling your brain, you couldn't trust anything you were thinking or saying or affirming. Now, it's worse than that for, for atheistic determinant. By the way, that works with Calvinism, too. Because it's not an affront to God, because no. here's the thing. If determinism is true, if divine determinism is true, there are still people that have wrong beliefs, which means they were determined to have wrong beliefs. Yeah, so sick. long as there are people who have wrong, determined wrong beliefs. That literally is the have... evil mad scientist uh, illustration. <laughs> and the evil mad scientist is God in that scenario. Well, you said it, not me. So, well, uh, I guess I'll go but, there. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be, I'll be the uh, uh, Dr. Pritchett of, of, of this conversation. <laughs> I'll go there and say the ridiculous stuff. Good. I'll, that'd be good. You're, you make a fine Dr. Pritchett. Thank you. Um, so, uh, so if you can, but see, with 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 atheistic determinism, there isn't even a mad scientist. Right. It's just the blind forces of nature. So, if you, so the way I, to get more technical and say it this way, every what we call rationality is the process by which you consider evidence and decide which things you should affirm. Now, if if every step of that, every frame of that process is determined and could not have been otherwise, mm -hmm. then all of your thoughts are determined just like with the mad scientist, which means that you can make affirmations, uh, but right. you can never be rationally, you can never be justified in believing it. You just have to assume that they're true. Yeah, as far as justifications come, we're basically agnostic, and that's everybody if it's really determined, Christians and atheists. Now, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, I really want to ask Eric this. Um, if you're friends with him, tell him to email me back. I'm just kidding. Okay. But uh, uh, in that debate with uh, T. Jump, um, it seemed that the T. Jump guy was saying, my beliefs are uh, uh, determined by the evidence and the reason. Now, I think he should have been saying they uh, that his beliefs necessarily follow from the evidence and the reason but if that's the case then we should have the same beliefs no like oh yeah because yeah, me and him we shouldn't be able to look at the same evidence and reason and come to different conclusions which we obviously do because i'm a christian and he's an atheist yeah you're saying you're saying that if if if, if it's this mechanistic determinism but the evidence causes the belief yes because that is what he was saying if i understood him then it should have the same effect on us all. Right. There's no way it could have two different effects if it necessarily follows from that evidence and reason like he was trying to say. It's an it's, interesting point. Isn't that, is that correct? Or again, I don't know. Folks, I can't, I can't say it enough. <laughs> I'm usually wrong. But uh, <laughs> you need to quit saying that because so far as I can tell, you've been right. This well, I keep saying effort. idiosyncratic things and or at least they seem that way. And so I, that's when you know you're usually wrong. <laughs> Well, but he, but the, I'd follow that, and I'm going to think about that tonight. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we can say for sure. I think is says you can't make rational justifications. Uh, you, I mean, you can't make rational affirmations. You can make affirmations, but not rational ones. Which means, if you understand that, you can't make any knowledge claims. Right. So you need to go home and figure out how, on an atheistic naturalistic setup, you can have knowledge claims, because then at least you'll know something. So <laughs> you need to go figure that out. Well, now yeah. I'm being Doctor Pritchett. Yeah. Now you're. But, but but the thing about it is, um, so when when you when you when you get that, uh, Matt Dillahunty in our debate said, but this is clearly not correct because calculators can get right answers. Yeah, almost always, right but, or but, always. Yeah. But the thing about it is, yeah, they can. They can get right answers. But and that's the point. Right. <laughs> right. But if 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 uh, naturalistic atheism is true and determinism is true, a person could have right beliefs. They just couldn't, they would have no justification. Right, the calculator is never going to justify its answer. Right, Because right. calculators don't justify. Human beings do. And human beings do because they got something that calculators don't, which is called libertarian freedom. Amen. 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 You laced up that section really nicely. Yeah, why, don't, why did I bring you on? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> let, let's, let's, uh, uh, okay, so that was actually only two of the four things that you said would uh, not, uh, that you could never have on determinism. What was the final one? 
Uh, pure altruism. Okay, and by that you mean? Okay, so like pure acts of selflessness. Now, if if determinism is were true, I think you could have a certain sort of of selflessness or self sacrifice. You know, altruism. Um, you you could you could a mother could die to save her kids from a car accident, sure, um, or something like that. Or a, a soldier could jump on a grenade. And I don't want to take anything away from that, right? Um, because that would, you know, that's that's praiseworthy. Yeah. But uh, not as as much as anything's praiseworthy. Well, you're, you're not even potentially taking anything away from it because you don't believe that determinism is the case. That's so, right. That's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. That's good. Good point. So um, we need to do a show together all the time because these are good points you're making. Uh, uh, I think Doctor Pritchett makes a much better co-host, if I may add. <laughs> Right. Well, maybe I don't know. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, no, I love I love my co-host. But so with altruism, you can never have the purest form of altruism because you're always, and this will seem like such a subtle point to people, but you're always doing on on determinism, you're always doing what you most desire. Sure. You 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 follow your strongest desire, right? This is true for Calvinist and for determinist uh, atheist. Is whatever you do is whatever you most desired. Well, it, if libertarian freedom is really true, it's at least theoretically possible that one could could actually do what one didn't most desire to do, which would be the purest form of altruism. Right. And which is demonstrably I, true that we can do that. I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I quit. Uh, just putting this out there publicly on the internet, I quit using tobacco. And those first three days, if you, what do you think my strongest desire on this whole planet was, man? Was it go, yeah, to go pack a dip in or something? Yeah. And I didn't do it. I quit. So don't tell me that I can't control or overcome my strongest desire. But anyway, go ahead. Well, and what, and to to, to be fair here, uh, what they would say back to you is, yeah, but you had a stronger desire. But I to, you know, and to I'll, be tobacco free. I but didn't just, I didn't just have it. I chose to have it, though. Ah, uh-huh, that's right. Exactly. I, I don't say. Yeah. But here's the thing, that they would say, yeah, well, still, you chose it because of a stronger desire to choose it or whatever. But <laughs> but here's the here's the thing about it. That is helplessly circular. Yeah, it's helplessly it makes, circular, and it makes us out to be animals. Yeah, I mean, how do you know that that's what I most desired? Well, because it's what you did, and what you do is what you most desire. It's a circle. Of course, you know? yeah. But but here's the thing. Let's grant it for most things. Okay. If I come into a room, and there's a treadmill over here, and a piece of chocolate cake over there, <laughs> uh, whichever one I do, I'm influenced by the chocolate cake for instant gratification. I'm, in, I'm influenced by the treadmill because I want to look like the young Jason Statham. I know I can be. Can. And so I'm, 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 I'm tempted in both directions. It's probably true in most cases in life where we're not really struggling that hard that whatever we end up doing is probably what we most wanted to do. Sure. But here's the thing. Um, I mean, I think that's I think it's probably the case. But here's the thing. When someone here's a thought experiment for you. And I've never said it anywhere except here on this show. Yes. I don't think, <laughs> uh, and your mileage may vary. Okay. But uh, okay, let's take let's take an example that I think would give us pure altruism. So there are whether you think that hell is real, mm-hmm. you the listener, and whether you think that the worst possible to me version of hell, the eternal conscious torment with fire, real fire, it's not imagery, all all that, and it never ever ever ends. Billions of years and we're just getting started. Okay, whether you think that's real or not, just just for the thought experiment, let's go with it. Okay, now there are people who will say, uh, there are Christians who have that view. They they desperately believe that view of hell. Yeah, and they will say, and I believe them, that they would gladly go there in order for some particular son or daughter or loved one well, to be. Saved. I can name one for you. His name is Paul. Uh, Paul said exactly this, didn't yeah. he? For his fellow Israelites, right? Yeah. So, 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 if you, so if that's true, there's nothing you, to benefit. Yeah. There, there's nothing. Now, what some people say is, well, like with the with the soldier who jumps on the grenade to save his his fellow soldiers, at least he has the 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 joy of knowing in that moment that how sacrificial he is, and um, which, by the way, is frankly a little bit insulting to the soldier, but. Um, and they might build him statues, right, you know, and all these kinds. You know, but here's the thing. I wonder if these people ever talk to real soldiers. <laughs> yeah, but the thing about it is uh, 
the person who says I'm going to go to hell for someone, that is an utter state of hopelessness yeah. that there is no benefit ever that comes to you. Now you could just say, well, they're wrong. They, maybe they think they would do that, but they wouldn't really do it. Come on, man. I know these people. I believe them. They do it. They push that button right now if they could. Now, if that's true, then you, the only thing that makes sense of that is pure altruism, which I don't think you can have unless you have libertarian freedom. Yeah, sure. Well, now, I, I believe you can actually get to with those four pieces, the love, the moral responsibility, the rational affirmations and the pure altruism. There is an interesting teleology in those four things. There's a design to it. 100% of those things are necessary for relationships to be possible, yeah. which seems almost as though eerily like yeah. that we were given this libertarian freedom that we didn't have to have on naturalism. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we were given that because there's a God who's concerned with us having relationships Ooh. with each other, love your brother, as, love your neighbor as yourself, and love the Lord your God. Wow. Nice. I like what you did with that. Have you written about that? I have written a 50-page paper, but I haven't published it yet. Oh, okay. Well, I'd like to have a copy of that whenever it comes out. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to decide whether I want to do a uh, book on it. Yeah. Um, if I do, I'll get Dr. Pritchett to write the, the biblical sections. Well, he's, he's got to write something. Yeah, that's right. Okay. okay. So, that, uh, is there anything else um, that you would like to say about the uh, argument from free will? Have we covered our bases, or is there something There that... are, of course, other things I could say. With premise two, the, we've already covered these things, but with premise two— um, the defense of premise two that libertarian freedom does exist would be the rational affirmations, um, the moral responsibility, and then uh, and then um, you would you would also I also throw in there the principle of credulity. Are you familiar with that? No, go ahead. So Richard Swinburne has this. He calls it the principle of credulity. He's not the first one to talk about it. He doesn't use it in this context. He uses it with an argument from religious experience. And what he's basically saying is that if, um, if, if, there, if you have a belief that seems impossible to doubt from your perspective, like oh, almost yeah, yeah. impossible yeah. to doubt, then you're justified in holding that belief until there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Right. This would be if something uh, along the lines of intuitively obvious. Yeah, yeah. So if I – so now here's the thing. The And I think I said this in the debate. If like – if, if you were a good argument has premises that are plausible, which means more likely to be true than false. Mm -hmm. So what would, what kind of argument would it take? Let's say I tried to form an argument to show you Hayden that you don't exist. Right. How strong would the premises have to be to show you that you don't exist? Well, I don't want to say that the premises have to be so strong because it kind of sounds like, uh, uh, you know what our atheist friends always say about the resurrection, which would be, uh, uh what do they say? Ridiculous claims need ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Claims extraordinary yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that kind of. I would still have to have plausible. Yeah, you would have to have. I mean, you would just have to have evidence, and I don't think you have. You have. You have zero positive evidence to show that the external world does not exist. Like you have no positive evidence that a mad scientist is doing all this to well, my let's brain. Let's imagine. Let's imagine that I did. Let's say I had some documents that I that seemed pretty real. Yeah. And and they and they. They, uh, there was some, you know, some demonstration that no one matching your descriptions was born in the on that day at that hospital. Or, whatever. or uh, let's imagine. I would ask, who are you talking to? <laughs> right. Well, the point that we're getting at, and you're you're rubbing up against it back and forth with me, is there there are no there are no premises that are yeah. they're going to be more plausible to you than your own experience that you are immediately existing. Right, which comes back to my Thomism that I'm pretty close to at least. Again, I don't know everything, and so I could be wrong about that. But on Thomism, the external world is just evident to your senses. There's, yes. there's no room for mistake. It's just evident. It's not um, uh, intuitively obvious or whatever people want to say. It's just evident, and there's some importance on the word evident. I um, agree with you because I teach a class on the history of apologetics, and um, it's basically a history of philosophy class. And what I love about what you're saying is I those medieval guys, what was great about them is they don't have the problems that Descartes has right. and Kant has because, and all these. Because th those guys are starting inside of their head, and they can never get out of their head. Right, right, right. They were like, what's wrong with you dummies? Start outside of your it, head. It starts with being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was I going to say about that? I can't remember now. Uh, so let me bring it back to yeah, sure, yeah, freedom. Yeah. So with the same thing there. What you'd have to show me an argument, what argument, what 
you can never have the premises of any argument that are more plausible to me than my own immediate experience that libertarian freedom does exist. Right. Yeah. So less than until you can present such an argument, I'm justified in maintaining. And now Matt Dillahunty said back to me, that is actually a fallacy. And there is no such fallacy unless he's making one up right now on the spot. What did he and call maybe it? Maybe a fallacy. Too many fallacies. The Dillahunty dilemma, I guess. I don't know. But the thing Did about you just it make is, that up? <laughs> I just made that up. Okay. There, uh, Matt Slick told him that he did something called a Dillahunty dodge at one point. But anyway, but but here's the thing. Later in the debate, like only moments later in the debate, you'd watch it back. Somebody made a video about it. He says, I can't prove to you that I exist, but um, until <laughs> it seems like I exist. And until someone shows me that I don't, I'm justified in believing it. Right. Well, what happened to the Dillahunty dilemma? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just seems, you know, yeah, exactly. you got to actually show – oh, that's what I was going to say is there's some skeptics, and I want to say it was – I was watching the cosmic skeptic guy uh, was in a debate with somebody yeah, or Alex something. Yeah, Alex O'Connor. Yeah, sure. It, I, I'm Again, I'm probably wrong about that too. I can't remember who it was. But I don't know how many times I can say that in one podcast. That's incredible. you got to stop it. Um, anyway, somebody was talking – and uh, it was a skeptic, and uh, basically they were saying something to the effect of the fact that I can doubt it. Uh, it, it was it's supposed to mean something, and I'm just that is that that epistemology would lead to so many absurd things that yeah. I mean you basically you could know nothing. It would be the purest form of skepticism if you're not sure that the. Um, not sure is actually the right word because if you're not certain that the external world exists, then I could probably work with you. But if you're not sure, which I'm distinguishing between sure and certain there, like if you're yeah. you're not going to say that you're justified in your belief that the external world exists, uh, I don't know what we're going to be able to talk about. Um, yeah, the conversation because I don't right. know who are you talking to. Right. Me? Who's me? You don't know that I'm here. So why are so why are you on this podcast? You know, debating me about it. That's what I was thinking yeah. to the skeptic that was talking to the apologist. And and I feel the same way about libertarian freedom as well. It's so uh, evident. And uh, um, yeah. So uh, one question before we leave this and go to the bonus segment is mostly we have talked about. Uh, uh, evidence against determinism and then saying you know ergo freedom free will is there any positive evidence that we do have uh free will maybe you've hit some and i've just hasn't been paying close enough attention well yeah i think uh yeah now now this is we didn't get to this in the debate but i think the little case i just made for pure altruism um it would be positive right. evidence if, if it is the case that we can show any example and I think the hell, the person who would go to hell for a for someone does the fact that um, that's kind of a hypothetical, or it's definitely a that's hypo the problem. Someone could just deny it. Right. Someone could just say hell doesn't exist. That, huh? Somebody could just say hell doesn't exist. Well, no, it, does, it doesn't matter if hell exists, it, as long as the person who agrees that they would go there means it, <laughs> right? They believe it, and they say they would go there. Um, you know, it, it, like you could say, it's kind of like this is not a, a pure altruism thing, but it's to illustrate what I'm saying here. Um, would Braxton Hunter uh, get stabbed to oh, death? Okay, would you do save, it? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, you, you could say, well, there's a guy on the other side of that door with a knife, and he's going to kill you the minute you open the door, or he's going to kill me. There may not really be one, but if I believe there's one, and I open the door, and he kill, and there's nobody there to kill me, I still demonstrated I would die for you, yeah. right? Yeah. So would you, or not would you take a knife right now? Do what? Would you take a knife right now? Come on. I'd like to believe that I would. I hope you wouldn't. You got a family, man. Don't do that. <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I know we're running. Out, I'll, we got more time here. Uh, I I was working out. I'm actually right now at, at the condominium where I live. This is like a room they have, and below us is the is the gym. There's an older guy there, and he said, "You wouldn't you wouldn't take a bullet for me?" And I said, "Well, I don't know that I wouldn't." And he said, well, you shouldn't. And I said, well, hold up, man. He said, you've got this young family. I said, yeah, but if I took a bullet for you, um, then surely you're going to take care of my family. You'll feel mm -hmm. compelled to do that. Mm -hmm. I might take a bullet for you. I don't know. Well, but then I'm now it's not pure altruism because you did it hoping. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, that would not be a case of pure altruism. That's right. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, 
If you're still with us, thanks so much uh, for joining us. We're going to get to the uh, bonus segment uh, with uh, Dr. Braxton Hunter. If you want to watch that, uh, become a supporter by following the Patreon link in the description below. One last thing, uh, Dr. Hunter, is I've heard so many Christian, not so many, but I've heard Christian scholars speak somewhat negatively of quote-unquote YouTube apologists or um, however else you want to phrase that. You seem to think this is beneficial. Thank you for being on our side. Sorry we can't all be scholars uh, to those who feel differently. Uh, why, why is this important? Yeah, you know, I, when I was in my mid-20s, I thought, I thought that um, it'd be the coolest thing in the world. I didn't think I deserved to be called an apologist. And I thought if I did get to the point where I warranted that term, I would feel so cool. Like, I, I'm an apologist. You know, that's great. Then when I got there, um, I found that, that many people in um, New Testament scholarship or um, philosophers who are Christians almost speak about it like just to be an apologist is, is like a, a lesser thing, maybe because it's interdisciplinary or something. Um, and, and yeah, th there, is a, there is a pullback from YouTube like it's kind of a lesser thing. Here's the reason why I think it's important. I don't I'm, I'm not I am a geek for apologetics but um, I think you and I were talking earlier I for many years the book we were we've been experiencing a golden age of apologetics for um, 15 years now maybe mm -hmm. and you know uh, from for much of that time the bookstores would have all these great apologetics books but almost none of them were focused on using apologetics for evangelism to see people come to know Christ sure. that's what I'm principally interested in I'm an evangelist first and an apologist second. And so um, for me, I don't want to talk to some, I don't, I mean, I would, I do want to because he matters to God, but I don't want to just talk to some professor who, if he writes a book, his students and nobody else are ever going to read that book. And the most famous he'll ever be is if he has a debate with William Lane Craig, but nobody really knows who this guy is. What the people I want to talk to are the Matt Dillahunty type people, the people that are out there. I want to respond to those people and create response videos to those people because those are the people who can push a button and say whatever they want into a microphone and a camera and thousands upon thousands of people are going to tune in just because it's them mm -hmm. and get notifications to do it. Those are the people that are changing minds. And those are the people that need a response. So to my mind, YouTube is in terms of the Internet anyway the front lines of uh, this engagement. That's what I've been thinking all along. Nobody wants to listen to me. I was listening. Hey, thank you. <laughs> well, thanks so much uh, for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on. It means a lot to me. Yeah. And uh, I know honored. that I know the audience, well, right now is going to love it, but uh, I, I, they're enjoying it right now as they're listening. So thanks uh, so much. Again, if you want to stick around for the bonus segment audience, uh, follow the Patreon link in the description, become a supporter, and you can get access to that. Dr. Hunter, thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and leave us a review. It helps out a lot. Of course, if you want to support the show or get access to the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Dr. Braxton Hunter, be sure to hit the uh, Patreon link in the description below and become a supporter over at our Patreon page. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, and we'll see you next time.